Good stuff. All right, you guys. Well, I'm glad to be here. This is awesome. It's fun to be here. Uh, I am the pastor at the downtown campus. Uh, meets everyday Joe. It's called the Scent Project. And so get to come here sometimes too and just get to share with you. It's a lot of fun for me to do this. And just excited to get to share, dive into the Word of God. I think God has a message that I hope is going to be encouraging to each and every one of you um, in your journey of faith. So I'd love to just start out um, by just uh, a word of prayer. And we'll just dive right into uh, the scripture here. So, Father, we welcome you here. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are alive. We thank you that you work in us and through us. And, God, we thank you that your word is here to challenge us. And we pray that today, God, we would just look and measure our lives according to what you say and to your standard. And we'd be people that desire to grow and be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, hey, we know that if you want to grow or get better at any type of skill, activity, something in your profession, some type of game, something that you want to do, it requires practice, right? It requires disciplined practice. You may have some God-given abilities, but to actually grow, to continue to push yourself further, it's going to require practice. And I looked up a few different figures from history or different athletes, musicians, and some of their disciplined practice habits I want to share with you here this morning. So the first guy is a guy by the name of Winston Churchill, right? We know Winston Churchill. He was the prime minister of England during World War II. He was known as, and people still call him as the speaker of the 20th century. I mean, that's a title, you know what I mean? Like if you're a public speaker, that's a pretty big title. But what's crazy, if you read biographies about Winston Churchill and about his life, you actually see that he was not a naturally gifted speaker. The people around him said that he had, he had a lisp. He had these different kind of awkward pauses that he would do if he was speaking spontaneously. So he had to work on his craft. And he did. He wanted to be great at it. So he wrote out his speeches. And he would spend time. And he would practice them over and over again. And he would work on the pauses as, as dramatic effects or as moments where people might laugh in humor or clap for what was being said. And he honed in this skill to where it sounded like he was speaking really spontaneously, but it was something that was well-practiced. We have these two champion uh, tennis players, sisters, Venus and Serena Williams. Right? With their dad, it was said that they practiced on the tennis courts from the time that they were three years old. And before she was 10, Serena was winning the junior tennis grand championships. They went on to win all kinds of tennis matches. For those of you that love to play golf, the, maybe one of the greatest golfers or one of the greatest of all time, Jack Nicklaus, he's won the most major tournaments of any golfer. He had a quote about practice that I think makes a lot of sense if you play golf. He said, the more I practice, the luckier I get. And I was like, yeah, I can relate to that when it comes to golf, yeah. I just don't really practice and just hope I get lucky. That's kind of how I do it. But then there's a guy, he was the greatest violinist of the 20th century. He's known as one of the greatest performing artists of all time. His name is Yasha Heifetz. And they say that this guy, Yasha Heifetz, that he practiced the violin four hours every single day from the age of three until he died at the age of 75. And that's a lot of practice. If you do the math, it's over 100,000 hours of playing the violin over a lifetime. So it takes a lot of work to become one of the greatest violinists in all of history, right? This disciplined practice. And so we, we can see that just in life, that it's, you don't really get anywhere without discipline, right? We don't really get anywhere and grow anywhere without discipline and practice. And what I want to talk about this morning is how that correlates and how that works within our spiritual journeys as well, is that discipline and practice is a big part in the spiritual journey. About what does it look like to live out my faith? To say, I want to grow closer to God. I want to become more like God. 
There's a lot of practice and discipline effort to prioritize growing in this amazing relationship with God. The Bible says it like this. It says, train yourself to be godly. I think that's an amazing way to say it. That's the first thing in your outline if you're following along or on the app. Train yourself to be godly. Paul in his letter to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, it says, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. I mean, how awesome, I love that. This idea of training yourself to be godly. It's this kind of this idea of putting the sweat, equity, the required work into growing in a relationship with God. And something that we know, right, if you're going to be a person that practices, like all these different guys, this guy that practices violin four hours a day, every day, that you're going to be pretty focused and that's going to require you eliminate other distractions, right? There was things that he had to say no to. There was things in his life that he prioritized in order to make that happen. So a lot of times it's that discipline practice, but it also requires elimination of distractions. And so we're going to talk about a moment here in Mark as we go through this study through Mark. We're in Mark chapter 2 today. And the story that we're hitting today is one of five different controversies that happened in Mark 2 and the beginning of Mark 3. And these controversial moments are, are really controversies between Jesus and the Pharisees most of the time, or the religious leaders at the time, that Jesus often was in opposition to because of their motivation and their heart wasn't always in the right place. And this particular time, in Mark chapter 2, verse 18, the people, they come with a question, and the question centers around the spiritual practice of fasting. And so let's read this. You can follow along with me on the screen. Mark 2, 18 through 22. Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. The new wine calls for new wineskins. All right, every time I read that, I'm just, a lot of wine and a lot of skins to say there. So, all right, we got through it. All right, but here, here's the setting, right, is that these people are looking around at Jesus and his disciples, and they're noticing something different about how Jesus is leading from what they've seen from the Pharisees. And they say, hey, we're used to these Pharisees as people that make it obvious when they fast. And Jesus calls them out for it later, and we'll look at this in Matthew 6. But they, they love to make sure people knew that they were the great spiritual people, and they would fast, and they would fast two times a week. They were highly devoted to spiritual practice, but oftentimes they missed the mark of what it really meant in terms of internal and a heart issue and the way to go about it. But Jesus responds in a way that was interesting to the people. is He says, hey, fasting is important, basically, but right now is a time of celebration. He says, the bridegroom himself, I'm here with the disciples. Now is a time of celebrating. And he, he likens it to a wedding feast. And the people in this culture, like a lot of us today, right, they liked to party and celebrate at weddings. And so they would have certainly understood this idea of this, this moment at a wedding. And I think you can think about this, like if you've been to a wedding, many of us have, and typically at a wedding there's the moment in the reception 
where, you know, the bride and groom are sitting at the head table and they get their food first. So they eat or whatever they, they want to do, they eat. And then they stand up and they go and they greet people around the room, right? You've probably been to a wedding at that. They go table to table and they thank people for being there. It's a cool moment, right? I mean, that's the reason you came, right, is to celebrate these people. You, maybe you got work off, you traveled, you got them a gift, but to be there for that moment. And so you make sure that you're at your table when the bride and groom come around, right? That's not the time to go take a break at the restroom. It's not the time to go get some food or drink. Like you're there and you want to celebrate and honor them. That's what it's about. And Jesus is saying, hey, while I'm here, this is a time of celebration. And I think it's a cool reminder for us to think about in our journey in following Jesus is the joy of following Jesus. Because when we look at the gospel of Mark, there's going to be many moments where we'll talk about the cost of following Jesus. And it's really important. Because there's something that Jesus says of laying down your life and, and putting your old self behind to take up his new life. There's certainly a cost in following Jesus. But this is a moment where Jesus is focusing on the celebration and the joy of following Christ. And my hope is this morning that you would just realize that. That there's a God in heaven who loves you. And that this is the greatest way to live. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, it's the greatest way to live. That there's not just this, this God up there, but he actually, he knows you that he's personal, that he's for you, that he wants to be in relationship with you. And I hope that that's something that we just never get over that reality of how incredible that is and how that should impact my life on a daily basis, that God loves me, wants to know me, and that I can actually know him. And so that's really my motivation, what I'm going after in terms of our talk this morning. As we talk about the spiritual discipline of fasting is that we would keep this motivation of saying this whole idea when we talk about spiritual practice, devotions, Bible reading, prayer, worship, these things, the idea is and the, the heart and the motivation is that I would know God better. That's what this is about, that I would get to know God better. And so, so what, is, what is fasting? I want to talk about this. What is this about? Fasting is this. It's a demonstration of our humility and our dependence on God. I like starting with that of these words of humility and dependence. It's saying, God, I'm looking to you. I'm depending upon you. And then in practicality, I think there's a lot of times we may have questions around this topic. And in Mark 2, the people, they ask this question to Jesus. They're wondering, why does it look different? Why are the Pharisees fasting a couple times a week, but you guys aren't fasting? And maybe today you have some questions on this topic. What is fasting? Why would I do it? What's the purpose and motivation? Should I even do it? And maybe it's, hey, that seems like something that's for the super Christian. Is this even for me, you know? And so I want to just talk about these different things. What is, what is the purpose of the motivation behind this? So what fasting is, it's a, it's a temporary time of self-denial. It's a temporary time of self-denial. And oftentimes in the Bible, what we saw was that men and women of the Bible, they would, they would abstain from eating a meal or from eating meals for a certain period of time, a temporary amount of time. And the idea is I'm abstaining from something that's normally nourishing myself and is good for me, but instead I'm using that time to focus my attention upon God. And that's really important in this. I'm not, you know, I know fasting is kind of a hot topic in certain areas and stuff. I'm not talking about diet things or health things. We're just talking today about the spiritual implications behind this and what we see in the Bible. And the big part of that is saying I'm actually purposely eliminating something from my life, something that may be good even, and I'm wanting to replace it with something that's going to fulfill me and sustain me. And that's the word of God. That's Jesus that's growing in relationship with him. So it might be food, but fasting something that's between you and God. It might look different. Maybe that's not something health-wise that you're going to do with food, but it could be something of, hey, is there other things that are distracting me? 
that take a lot of my mind's attention, the focus of my heart, my, my time, and what I'm putting my resources to. In our world, I mean, entertainment is such a big thing. Surfing the internet, right? Social media, watching YouTube videos, all of these different things that just soak up so much of our time and our focus. Maybe that's something to say, hey, I'm gonna eliminate one of those things that typically take up a lot of space in my world, but I'm gonna do it not just so that I have more time, I'm gonna do it so that I fill it with some time with God and to draw closer to him. And so this is the big thing that I wanna make sure we get, right? Is that when we talk about this spiritual discipline, is again, the motivation, it comes from a place of a heart that says I wanna know God. And so it's a big thing that we talk about the difference of a legalistic pursuit and a disciplined, discipled heart that wants to know God. Because legalism, legalism is an approach that looks at different elements of practicing your faith and says, I'm doing this, I'm spending this time with God, I'm going to church, I'm doing this prayer thing, I'm doing it to gain merit or favor with God. That's legalism. It's missing the whole point of it. It's saying, I'm doing this, so if I do this, hopefully God will do something for me. Or I'm doing this just to check a box. That's the heart of legalism. But a disciplined heart, a heart that's connected to God, the motivation is completely different. A discipline like Bible reading, fasting, praying, these things is saying, I'm doing this because I love God and I want to spend time with him. So the motivation is the key, right? The motivation is what's totally different in this entire thing, that we've got to get this and we have to understand that. And just a little story from, from my journey in my life. Um, I've been married for just over 10 years now to my amazing wife, Allie. And uh, this last year, I had set up this basically kind of a challenge for myself that I was doing with one of my accountability partners. And it was I was trying to grow in some areas. So I set some goals for physical and athletic. I set some goals for spiritual. And I set some goals for family. And I, I tried to make these different practical things that would help me just to be more intentional in life. All right? And I don't say this to like talk about myself. I say it to say I kind of messed up in this thing. But uh, ultimately, I, I got into it. And one of the goals I was making was, all right, I want to really invest into my wife. I want her to know that I love her and that I care for her. And so the motivation came from that place. So I made this goal for this. And this is a pretty long period of time I was doing this. I was saying, I'm going to try to write her an encouraging message, whether it's handwritten, it's a text, it's a voice text, just something that's intentional to encourage her every single day through this period of time. All right, that was one of the things I had to check off every day. So it started out with this great motivation, you know, and, and Ali loved it. It was like, hey, I'm, I'm thinking I was doing it in the morning. I'd write up a cool way to do it, just encourage her. Great, worked really well. But then after a few weeks, honestly, I forgot a couple times. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and uh, so I realized like at the end of the day, I'm a real goal person, so I had to check every box. I was like, I'm not going to miss a day. So like right at the end of the day, I'm writing a quick note, throwing it on her pillow, like, oh, yeah, I thought about it. You know what I mean? Like, and it just doesn't mean the same when it's at the end. Clearly, you're just checking the box. But then we had a moment, you know, and this happens sometimes in marriages when things just aren't vibing perfectly. And uh, we had a little marital conflict, you know, which never happens, but it did this day. And... Uh, and uh, we were just, something was going. We weren't really, and, and so we took a little break from this conversation. Our kids are in bed, and, and we're getting ready for bed, and we're going to try to come back and kind of resolve this issue. And that hit me. I realized, I still haven't wrote her that note for today. Like, I've got to check this box. I've got to get it, right? I've got to make this happen. And so I go ahead in the middle of this basically argument, right, and I, and I write this note and throw it on the pillow, and I'm like, just doing my thing. And as you can imagine, right, uh, that didn't really come across the same to Allie as maybe the other ones, right? <laughs> I, uh, like you, it was like, you're not doing this because of anything beyond. You're just trying to check a box, right? You're just trying to make this happen. And so it's the exact same act, right? I just wrote an encouraging note. But understandably, 
It came across completely different because the motivation behind it was completely different. Right? Those other days it was, I just wanted to be an encouragement and to love on her and show her that I was thinking of her. But that day, and I'll be honest, it truly was there just because I wanted to complete my goal and tell my accountability partner that I did it every day. You know what I mean? Just trying to check a box. And so this, this motivation is a key thing. So when we talk about the spiritual discipline of fasting and coming from a right heart, that is what I wanted to just drill into us this morning is this isn't about checking a box. This isn't about doing something for God. This is about a heart that says, I hunger for God. I want to know God better. I want to draw close to him. That's why I get up early and I spend time with God. That's why I go to the prayer meeting, right? That's why I attend church, right? It's I have a desire that I want to actually experience him and I want to know him. And I don't know if I've met anybody yet that would say fasting, that's my jam. You know what I mean? Like I just love fasting, right? But there's something incredible of these physical hunger pains that fasting creates or this missing of an activity I typically do that creates this spiritual hunger inside of me. There's something powerful about that. And something amazing is this. The reality is that God, God can't fill you if you're full of yourself. And I think that fasting and eliminating distractions and saying, God, I'm going to prioritize you. I'm going to put you first. It's some of the best ways that we can just open ourselves up. Because the promise from God is, is if you would draw near to him, that he will draw near to you. That that's an amazing thing that he wants to be close to you. And so what does it look like to fast? What did Jesus say? How should we look on the days maybe that we take this on and we do this? In Matthew chapter 6, he talks about the, some guidelines within fasting. He says, when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. So this is what these, these Pharisees, they like to make sure people knew what they were doing. He says, I tell you the truth, that's the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting, except your father who knows what you do in private, and your father who sees everything, he will reward you. Right? So we see this at fasting again. It's not about doing something for God, but it's also not about doing stuff for other people. Right? This is between you and God. This is a thing between you and God to say, God, I am willingly laying aside something that normally would bring me blessing in life, but I'm doing it for the purpose of, of taking more of you and of finding more of you. And if you think, well, hey, you know, Pastor Josh, is this really applicable still? Fasting. Well, when you look at this spiritual discipline of fasting, it's something that many of the major men and women leaders all through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, we see them taking times of fasting. Even Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 4 Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he fasts. And then he's tempted by the enemy the entire time. And I think it's so important for us to get this, is that here's Jesus, and he is saying, this is so important to me to make sure that I am living and I'm being sustained upon the word of God and by the strength that God provides. It's more important than food and other things. And this is how he prepared for his public ministry. And so I think that we could look at the life of Jesus and say, hey, maybe this is something that I should consider. Maybe this is something that I should consider. If I'm a person that says, I want to know God and I want to grow in him and I pray that's who you are, that this would be a thing of what does it look like in practice then? We talked at the beginning of those different athletes, musicians, and, and different speakers, right? And the practice and the discipline required to grow. There's some of that within this, the Christian journey, within my spiritual journey as well. And there's a woman in Luke chapter 2. Her name is Anna. 
And she has an amazing part of this. And we see this principle about fasting from her. That fasting is a way to sharpen our spiritual discernment. And it gives us eyes to see as Jesus does. It's a way to sharpen the spiritual discernment and see it as Jesus does. Now, I guarantee you if that's something that if you're, if you're fasting, right, and you're not eating, when you have those physical hunger pains, it causes you to think, why in the world am I doing this? Which reminds you and brings you back to this place to see and be more aware of what God is doing. And this woman, Anna, she made fasting a part of her daily life. She's a prophet in the time of when baby Jesus was born. I want to read this from Luke chapter 2, verse 36 through 38. It says, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. So you see, this was a commitment to her life. She was there all the time. And she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. I think we can learn a lot from this woman. Like, what an amazing heart. What an amazing heart. She said that she devoted her life to be in the presence of God. And this wasn't an inconvenience to her. This wasn't something that she just had to do or was checking a box to do. This was the place she wanted to do. And her, her prayer, her fasting, her time in Scripture, her time in the presence of God, this was an act of worship to God. And I think that this is an incredible thing. What it caused her to do is it gave her eyes to see that right when baby Jesus was brought in, she knew right away this was God's chosen Messiah who would come and redeem the world. And so if we're people that are consistently living lives, prayerful lives, lives with fasting, lives in the word of God, we'll have eyes to see what Jesus is doing. And so I think that's a challenge to us. Like, what would it look like? What would it look like if I made the spiritual practice a daily part of my routine, a daily part of what I do, right? What if I made this a part of, of who I am and what that looks like for me? But realizing this, like, the goal in fasting is, is not just to eliminate other things, but it's actually to replace it, right? It's to get rid of distractions so that we can pursue God even better. Let me ask you this. How many of you guys in here like to go to sleep with the TV on? Just raise your hand for me. If you like to have the TV on, you like something around there. All right, I see some hands coming up. Like that, that is the complete opposite of how I am. Right? So I can't ever do it, and here's why. Because if the TV is on, I watch it. Like that's just, I just get so distracted by TV. Just the other night, this week, we got home and my kids were there. And if you have little kids, you're going to know this show. But my kids were watching the show Bluey, all right? And they love Bluey. And Bluey is this animated cartoon show for little kids. But it's on in my house. And I was just standing there, didn't even realize it, just glued to the TV. I'm, I'm deep into a Bluey episode, right? And my wife just looks up at me and she's like, you're watching this, aren't you? <laughs> like, yeah, TV's on. Like, I'm going to be watching it. And so if, like, I can never go to sleep with the TV on because all I'm doing is I just am thinking about it or I'm trying to watch it. And here's another one that just drives me insane. Some people like this, so if this is you, I don't know how you do this. But uh, I can't handle ticking clocks, you know what I mean? Like, especially if I'm trying to sleep. And so I have this rule in my house. You know, clocks are cool. These are cool-looking clocks, hang on the wall, whatever. But I told my wife early on in our marriage, like, hey, you can buy as many clocks as you want for decorative purposes. They just can't make any noise, all right? That's the, if they make a noise, I'm a, I, you're, the battery's coming out. I'm taking it to the other room. I just, I can't handle that. I'm trying to sleep, all I can think about is that back and forth, tick, talk, tick, talk, right? Some people think it's soothing. For me, it doesn't work, right? So I've got to, if there's going to be that, if we go to a hotel or Airbnb or something, and there's a clock like that, I'm moving it out of there. 
because I can't handle it. All right? But then what I do is I've got, I get this kind of eliminate distractions, but, but for me it doesn't work if it's just quiet. You know, nobody likes that. I just leave it quiet. Like, hey, somebody say something, right? And some people like it just quiet when they sleep. For me, it doesn't work. I've got to have, I grew up with a fan, so now I have a sound machine, you know. I have to have that sound machine. There, you're getting applause for sound machines. Here we go. All right. Praise God for the sound machine. And then if you forget your sound machine, praise God for the apps that are sound machines, right? And, uh, and so I have to have that. So I eliminate these things that distract me that I can't sleep, but then I've got to fill it with this other soothing noise to help me sleep, right? And hopefully talking about sleep didn't just put you all to sleep here so we can finish this. But, um, but this idea, I think, honestly, it relates a lot to fasting. Is this idea of eliminating these things that distract you from the goal, right, falling asleep here, and filling it with something that's really helping you in that journey. That fasting is not just about getting rid of stuff for the purpose of just doing it, but it's I've got to make time. I'm going to spend some extra time with God. I'm going to go on a prayer walk. I'm going to spend some time in the Word. I'm going to listen to a sermon. I'm going to eliminate a distraction, but I'm going to make sure that I fill that space with something else because the goal is growing in hunger and desire for God. And that's my hope again, is that you would leave this place this morning whether it's, hey, I'm going to take a step in fasting, sorry, I'm going to take a step in my spiritual practices of daily devotions, but that we would be people that hunger for the word of God and that realize that my life is sustained upon what God says, that I've got to be full of what he says so that I can have a worldview that looks and sees things the way that Jesus does when I go into a culture that doesn't normally do that. And David himself, King David was a guy that did this in an incredible way. Psalm 27.4 it says, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. I love this with David because this is something that I know is real for many of us is we have busy lives. We're very distracted with things like work, family, friends, travel, entertainment, right? All the stuff that can totally be good is important in life. But it's so often, and I know I fall into this trap and I've heard it from many people, that it's, I, I have this desire to know God. I want to grow in my relationship with God, but I just don't have the time. I'm so busy with all these other things. But we look at David. David was the king. He was ruling an entire nation. He was a commander of the armies. And yet he was saying, my biggest priority, the one thing that I seek the most is to make sure I spend time with God. And I think that that's a challenging but so important view and perspective on spending time with God is I'm not doing this to check a box. I'm not doing this to please any other person. But this is a priority in my life is that I would live a life where I know God better. One of my favorite illustrations is the idea of the life of following Jesus should be like a crescendo. Right, music, a crescendo is when it starts out quiet and it gets louder and louder and louder and louder. That's what it really should look like in the Christian journey. It's not on the day of salvation. That's just the beginning. But as we grow deeper with God, as we know him more, we start to look more like him. We start to talk more like him, and our lives become more like Jesus, right? It's this bigger thing. It's this journey of running after God. That doesn't mean everything always goes easy. That just means the cry of my heart is to know him. And just a few verses later, Psalm 27, verse 8, David says, the, the, um, When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. I really love that because it goes from this thing of just I'm saying it to it's in my heart. And the only way that you hunger for something is you have to feed on it, right? You know, like you guys, hey, it's 10 o'clock service. We're thinking about lunch right now. All right, we're thinking about going to Raising Cane's, all right? 
And, and you, don't, you don't just think of going to Cane's unless you've experienced the chicken and the sauce and how good that is, right? There we go, yeah. I lost you guys again, put you to sleep, now I'm giving you food, all right? So we'll get you out of here soon. But this idea, right, like you have to experience it to hunger. You've got to make it a priority in your life. It's the same spiritually. You're not going to desire God unless you make it a priority to spend time with him. And then that's going to grow and it's going to build and this is going to be this crescendo of this desire and this hunger for God. Matthew 5, 6, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. What a promise. They will be filled. So let's be people that diligently seek after the word of God. The final scripture here is from Hebrews eleven six, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is such a challenge. And if there's one thing to take out of here from this morning, I'd love for you to meditate on this scripture today and this week, Hebrews eleven six, to say, and think about this, what's the reward that I'm living for? What's the reward that I'm spending my time and my energy and I'm putting all of my resources into? And is it the reward of the kingdom? Because here's this promise. He says God's a rewarder for those who diligently seek him. And that word diligence is a big one. The word diligent in the, in the Greek here, it's a word exoteo. And if you look at the, what that means, it says seek out, search for, investigate, to scrutinize. I think that's an amazing pursuit, way to look at our spiritual journey. Do you think of an investigator, right, somebody that's trying to solve something? They've got to dive deep to figure it out. You're not a good investigator if you're just going to give up if you don't figure it out on the surface. But you're going to put the work in. You're going to do all the research required. And if you get to the end point where you're a little bit stuck, a good investigator doesn't just quit right there because it's hard, but they dive deeper. They keep asking more questions, and they want to keep running hard. And I think that that's a great encouragement for us as we talk about spiritual practice is this, is the last challenge here today, is to be a person that goes all in and to be diligent. Go all in and be diligent. Not half-hearted in my pursuit of Jesus, but with diligent pursuit of him of saying, God, I'm going to search for you even if it's hard, even if it's challenging, even if I'm in a difficult place in my life, I want to consistently be a person that diligently seeks God because I believe that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And that he's a God who wants to be in relationship with his people. And so as we leave today, I would love to just challenge you with this question. And just for you to think about this and pray about this and consider, what can I do this week that would help me grow closer to God? What's one step that I could take this week that would help me grow in my relationship with God? It might be taking a step, taking a day to fast. It might be eliminating something, doing a week long of entertainment fasting or something and saying, hey, I've just got to make time to be with God. Maybe it's the simple thing of setting my alarm earlier so that I have time before work and before my kids get up to spend time with God. What would be that one practical step that I could take to say, God, I want to hunger after you and actually I'm going to take the practical steps. I'm going to do the practice and take the steps required to grow in my faith. Would you stand with me? And Jesus, we just come before you this morning. God, we thank you for your promises that you say that those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, that they will be filled. So, Father, I pray that you would fill us up. God, may we be a people that hunger for you, that make you a priority, and in that, that we would find you. In Jesus' name.